The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Steffen, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. This is my rifle! There are many like it, but this one is mine! Why is Private Pyle out of his bunk after lights out? Why is Private Pyle holding that weapon? Why aren't you stopping Private Pyle's guts out? Sir... It is the private's duty to inform the senior drill instructor that Private Pyle has a full magazine and is locked and loaded, sir! What is your major malfunction, numbnuts? Didn't mommy and daddy show you enough attention when you were a child? That scene from 1987's Full Metal Jacket, which was a tale of two parts, really. The first part where Arlie Ermey's drill sergeant character drives Vincent D'Onofrio's character over the edge after weeks of harassment and brutality. And then the showdown between the monster and the man who made him. The first part of this film is such a Stanley Kubrick masterpiece. You can't take your eyes off of the impressive and young D'Onofrio who gained a lot of weight for this role before filming started just to add to his look. I wanted to talk to Vincent about Full Metal along with his new book and his future part as the Reverend Jerry Falwell. I've got the award-winning actor Vincent D'Onofrio on the line right now in New York City. Hey. Vincent, welcome and congratulations on your new book, Mother Stuff and Things. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the way that you did it, which was kind of this top of mind, almost free association thing, the way it's presented at least. Uh, it has kind of a like a beat poet vibe to it. Okay. I guess it does, yeah. I mean, it's really just stream of conscious stuff written down and then the publisher is trying to figure out a way to keep the cadence in which they um, and what's the way that I recite them and and feel about them, um, you know, to, to, to be able to publish them in a way that people understand my original the original feel of each piece. So that was a really cool thing to do because it all just came from my head and it's just words and um but but done in a kind of way that has a certain cadence when read and so yeah it was extraordinary and um yeah i'm very happy with the way it turned out yeah i've read the first few chapters just received it uh yesterday and uh, i really i really like it and i i know that you've done i know that you've done at least in the past live readings at joe's pub in manhattan yes um not just readings but the dana lynn who was part of the original uh, of the play that we were doing when I started to actually write these things down. We were doing a play with Ethan Hawke and, and she was a musician and she's a composer and she's just wonderful. And she asked me if wonderful um, uh, artist, and, and she just asked me if she could start putting them to music. And so she did. And I liked them so much that we started performing them at Joe's pub to, with her um, and a bunch of um, studio musicians from New York, really some top-notch people. And, wow. And, yeah, we used to perform them. And we used to sell out Joe's Pub all the time. It was uh, pretty cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that the work on this book, that you did at least some of it while we were all locked down? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, the, 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 there were some older ones that I wanted in for sure. And then, yeah, I, was, I, I write every day. You know, I write at least one of those every day, sometimes more. So there's tons of stuff. There's another book of 
poetry coming out, which is, I gave myself obstacles, like to keep them in the amount of characters you, you would be able to tweet. And so there's a whole book of poetry coming out with the length of those many characters only. And so that to do it stream of conscious, but to create obstacles at the same time is a fascinating thing to do. And there's a, there's a children's book coming out, which is based on one. So we're, we're trying to do there's so much of it that I'm because I keep writing that I'm trying to do as much as they'll let me do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not, you're just exercising that muscle, aren't you? Exactly. Yeah. It's really good for, for us to do that kind of thing. Coming soon. And I've seen the trailer for this, uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye about Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, which is an extraordinary story. And, and you play Jerry Falwell. I do. Yeah. I do. I played Jerry Falwell and it was fantastic um, recreating him. You know, I had to do a lot of research and yeah. study his voice and posture. And yeah, I got to play him. He's a very particular character inside that film, um, inside the story of Tammy Faye and Jim Baker. Jessica Chastain looks amazing in this. Jessica's just all around amazing. I mean, yeah. you know, she's like, as from, you know, it's such a pleasure to be able to work with her and also just to just say, you know, just experience how wonderful she is and just to be able to say, tell people that she's, she's like the most, you know, she's like one of the best around right now. She's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, by the way, a little side note, years ago, my morning show, we did our morning show from inside of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's doghouse, which had just been sold for auction. Wow. And and I'm telling you, Vince, this was this house, air conditioned and all, was nicer than the house I lived in at the time. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really strange, that's for sure. I'm wondering, I've always wanted to to know, has there ever been another role that you did where you were so totally immersed as private Leonard Lawrence in Full Metal Jacket? Um, that was pretty that was a pretty deep immersion. Um yeah, I mean, I played Abby Hoffman in a movie called Steelless Movie, which was another deep dive for me. Yeah. Um, uh, I played Robert Howard in a film called Robert E. Howard, the Pulp Fiction writer, in a film with Renee Zellweger, and I did it called The Whole Wide World. That was a pretty deep dive. I mean, I like taking those deep dives. You know, they're they're the most fun you can have when you're when you're acting is to, and it always the the bigger most biggest tasks at hand are usually when you're playing somebody that that's always a deep dive. I, I love it. I, I interviewed your castmate, Matthew Modine, and he told me that Arlie Ermey wrote obscene poetry and he shared some of that stuff with you guys. He did. That was an odd moment. <laughs> um, it was uh, kind of, uh, I think everybody that he, uh, that was there at the time thought it was a pretty uh, odd extraordinary yeah. thing that he would do um <laughs> so much so that i would never be able to even repeat one word of, of the stuff that he read us and right. um yeah it was pretty extraordinary because we were only used to him being this kind of very kind of um drill instructor type you know the thing about lee well first of all he was a super nice guy yeah and and i mean just super nice and really loved to be involved in what we were doing and, and being an actor, he just loved it. And the guy did, you know, the guy did three tours in Vietnam. You know, the guy went back twice. Right. Pretty amazing. You know, it's pretty spectacular. Um, so very 
to meet a guy like that and to be told stories firsthand about his experiences in Vietnam was an extraordinary feeling, uh, uh, extraordinary event for me because I'd never, never been with a, a guy his age at the time. I was only 24 and I, and the idea of being, spending all that time with him and being with him on set and, and asking him and pressing him about stories and him telling stories about it was the first time I, that had ever happened to me. Um, I'd never met a veteran um, to, that, that, that served as much as he did. And so it was an extraordinary time, and he was a pretty interesting guy. Stanley Kubrick, I, I think I read this somewhere that he called you because he was interested in you and getting the part, but you hung up on him because you didn't believe that he was who he was. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to imagine that, you know, I, I it, you know, Stanley Kubrick calling you is a pretty odd thing. And, and the backstory <laughs> is, is that, you know, I was a bouncer and a doorman at the time. And I worked with a lot of, um, you know, cops and firemen that were moonlighting and doing jobs on the side and lots of guys. And they, they knew I was an actor trying to be an actor anyway. And, and they gave me a hard time about it all the time. So I was just thought, and I also didn't know that Stanley wasn't from England. I, I didn't know that he was from the Bronx. Right. So I totally didn't believe um, his voice or what he was saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, I've heard this story before that he's, he wasn't known to give compliments or communicate so much to actors, but there was a moment where he called you over to watch a scene you had just done, and he actually put his hand on yours. That had to be pretty satisfying for you. Yeah, it was during, we only did three takes, um, including the special effect of um, the scene in the bathroom where I killed the drill instructor and then myself. We only did three takes of that. And so it was pretty extraordinary for him to, on the, I think it was the second one that he, yeah, he put his hand on mine and like, that was pretty cool. He was very happy with that. And, uh, that was a pretty extraordinary feeling for me at 24 years old. You know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, you're a kid. Did this kind of spoil you for a while for future projects? Well, it did, you know, I, I, it kind of did, you know, it's, it's, uh, you work with somebody like that and you have so much trust in them because, you know, I had seen all of his movies obviously. And, you know, because I was a film buff and I just, you know, it was just an extraordinary thing, you know, to trust somebody like to have trust for somebody like that, even though you didn't know them, you just knew that you were in good hands. And so that's only happens a few times in your career and you hope that it happens every time, but it just doesn't, you know. And so it's uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. And and it was pretty it, it took a while to get used to, you know, that's. I'm not going to always be as good an actor in everybody's films and I'm not going to always, and the director's not going to be always at the height of, of, of Stanley Kubrick and their talents, you know, but, but, you know, as you go on in your career, you get used to the idea of um, the kind of directors you like to work with and how they work. And so it all kind of equals out in the end, but it's um, yeah, I, I remember definitely your point what you're saying is, is, is true. It was quite a place to start. Your body of work, it's amazing. And now you've got this uh, great book, Mother Stuff and Things. It's available at barnesandnoble.com and also amazon.com and wherever books are sold. And look for Vincent in the uh, Jim and Tammy Faye film as well. Great talking to you. I, I appreciate the time, Vincent. 
Great talking to you, man. I appreciate it. And of course, because we only had about 10 or so minutes, we didn't have a chance to talk about other fun roles like in Men in Black, The Cell, Law and Order, and a lot more. That finishes up this episode of the Fake Show podcast with Vincent D'Onofrio. Glad you joined me. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 